Hello and welcome back to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. This is episode one of our third season of the podcast, which is pretty exciting that we've been doing this this long. I have really been enjoying this journey of recording uh, casual conversations over a cup of coffee uh, each week with a different guest and diving into some of the complex and important questions, difficult questions about being human, exploring uh, my own spirituality throughout this process and hearing inspiring stories uh, and so much wisdom from different people of all different walks of life and different backgrounds and different beliefs. So I'm very excited to share more of those types of stories with you and really appreciate you joining me today. This week's episode of the podcast uh, features Reverend Robin King, who's been on the show many times, and we thought it would be appropriate to uh, talk about the season of Epiphany, which is the season that comes right after Christmas and leads up to to Lent, and uh, just explore what that concept of, of Epiphany and revealing is all about. Here is my conversation with Robin King. Robin, thanks for coming on the show again today. So we're going to talk a little bit about about epiphany, about re- this idea of revealing, um, which you can't really do without talking about what it is that we're looking for. Where um, where does this story of epiphany kind of fit into Christmas and and this point well, that we're sort of at in in the year? Well, uh, well, epiphany's epiphany's the season that follows Christmas because it's. Uh, it begins with the story of the Magi, which we usually roll into the Christmas story, right? Um, your, the wise your, men, yeah. Yeah, your Christmas crash probably has uh, probably has the three wise men, um, men of um, diverse culture and orientation, uh, but three. Um, and so just because, you know, it's a pet peeve of mine, uh, it doesn't <laughs> actually say there was three. It just says they brought three gifts. There could have been many more. It also doesn't say whether they were all men. It just says that they were magi. It doesn't even say that they were kings. In fact, if they were magi, that means they were um, they were scholars. They were um, they were um, sort of they they dealt with the mysteries of the universe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so the odds are pretty good actually that they weren't all that wealthy. So in fact, it probably would have taken more than a few of them to gather those three wealthy gifts, right? Um, so I just I just think you know. It's representative. Yeah, it's representative. But we usually put them in the crash as if they arrived that night, which there's not a chance, right? I mean, the story is they followed a star, and mm-hmm. the star did not appear until the birth of Jesus. If they came, if the Magi came from wherever they came from, but it was a distant land, um, even if they flew, uh, they wouldn't, or, or, you know, Scotty beamed them up and then beamed them back down again into Bethlehem. Um, they're still not going to get there. And so the story that what, what happens is we put a bunch of stories together from Luke and Matthew, right? And Matthew's story is that the Magi arrived, um, in not in Bethlehem, but they, they arrived, they saw Herod first cause they weren't sure exactly where they were going. And that's how Herod comes to find out um, right. that why they're there and about this prophecy that apparently he didn't, I guess, know about, and somehow he didn't see the star. So there's, first of all, let's say there's some questions around um, how the Magi saw the star and nobody else did, right? So um, there's a revealing question for you right there. Uh, and again, uh, I think the part that it points to is, what are you looking for? 
If you're magi and you're looking at the stars and you suddenly see a big new one that just appeared, right? You're looking for it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they were because they knew the prophecy and they were looking to follow and the, find the fulfillment of the prophecy. So the, the uh, epiphany story, I'm getting off track a little here, but the, not really because the epiphany story, epiphany, it's called that because epiphany means revealing. Right, it means it means the revealing uh, of the new uh, king, yeah, understanding, right? Um, yeah. And in this context, it's the revealing. The Magi see Jesus, even though Jesus is not probably what they were expecting, right? They were probably expecting a king in a palace with an army and all that kind of stuff, um, and wealth. Um, and what they got was uh, the son of really poor people who weren't even in their own hometown, um, and. Uh, it was probably a couple of years. He, Jesus was probably two or three years old um, by this point. In fact, as the story continues, Herod decides to kill all the children who are, you know, two or three, four years old. Um, and so they run off to Egypt, uh, which is how the how Jesus becomes a refugee, by the way. Um, <laughs> and uh, so the Magi, that's the beginning story of Epiphany. Mm-hmm. The Magi see Jesus. They understand somehow that this is the one. And then the season of Epiphany, which is the season that follows Christmas until Lent, right? The beginning of Lent. Um, it's a collection of stories about how Jesus is revealed. Throughout his, his whole life. Well, there's, really, the, right? there's the part that's kind of interesting is we leap from mm. Jesus as an infant revealed to the Magi to the baptism of Jesus as an adult by John in the Jordan. What about the stories though of Jesus in the temple as a child? Is he like around 10 or 11 or yeah. 12 years old or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, there's the thing. Okay. So Jesus is born. Um, um, there's a, there's a birth narrative in Luke and a, a bit of a birth narrative in Matthew. Uh, it's not as, as, uh, uh, it, it's not as elaborate as um, Luke, I don't think. But anyway, that's the only two Gospels that have a birth narrative. John's way of describing it's a little bit more mystical. It's about how the Word became flesh. But even then, he leaps right to then to John. Hmm. John the Baptist, not John the writer. John the Baptist um, and John the Baptist seeing Jesus, right? So as an adult. Um, so uh, Luke, I think, is the only one that records a story other than them Jesus being maybe three or four years old when he sees Magi. And then, of course, they return um, from Egypt when Herod dies. So one might presume then that was a few years later, and Jesus might have been, you know, 10, 12 years old. We have a story in Luke about how, as a 12-year-old, he's at the temple, Mm -hmm. um, which would again... Uh, that would again sort of explain, okay, they were in Egypt, but now they're back, although I'm combining two stories again, right? Right. Um, But we have nothing other than that one story. And that one story, by the way, Jesus in the temple, um, they think, Mary and Joseph think he's with uh, other people in the group because they went with a group, right? And they discover he's not, so they go back to the temple, and there he is teaching, and the, the scholars and the scribes and the Pharisees in the temple, they're all terribly impressed with Jesus. He's so intelligent and he knows he's so wise and he knows so much. And he says to Mary and Joseph, would, well, where else would I be but in my father's house? And, and again, we're emphasizing divinity of Jesus. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Then we skip over until he's 30. 
We have nothing until he's 30, and we get the story of the baptism of Jesus where the dove comes down and a voice is heard, this is my beloved son, mm-hmm. depending on which version of the story you're telling this year. Um, but we got nothing. So more in those more formative focus years. on divinity there. Right. And so, yes. And that's that's what Epiphany does, too. It reveals more about the divinity of Jesus. So, okay, that's great. But, first of all, from my perspective, first of all, we missed a whole chunk there. We missed the part where um, the Word becomes flesh. Not just so that the Word can impress us but so that the word experiences being who we are, right? Isn't that part of the point of that story? Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe the point of the story is solely that the divine becomes human in order to demonstrate how divine the divine is. But I don't think so. I think the divine becomes human in order to also experience what being human is about and show us, reveal to us, if you like, that the divine is in all of us. Mm. And the way we tell that story, though, is we skip out a chunk of the life that would have had the formative human things in it. Yeah. Jesus doesn't get to experience puberty. Um, (laughs) He doesn't have zits. Um, He doesn't learn a trade, although later we come to understand that he did and that he'd be a carpenter. But he doesn't get a first date. Um, He doesn't get married. He doesn't have children. Except... In that era, a, a Jewish male who was 30 years old and didn't have a family with children, that would be unheard un- of. Very unlikely. Unless, unless they were, as John the Baptist is, a Nazarite, right? Which is somebody who dedicates their life to a particular lifestyle, which includes things like not having a family, living a certain way, not, not cutting his hair. That's why he looks so crazy um, and, and not drinking, things like that, right? But, but there's nothing that says Jesus was a Nazarite. That's not the same as being from Nazareth, by the way. That's, That's a Nazarene. A Nazarene, right? Yeah. So um, John the Baptist was, was John the Baptist was a Nazarite. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know so that. So his life was, that's why he comes out of the wilderness, looks like he does, right, and, right. and is a pr- great prophet, is because his life was dedicated to that, right? Yeah. So, uh, so we miss that whole, we have no stories. And this is the thing about the Gospels, right? They emphasize the divinity of Jesus. It's, it's God as one of us, the word made flesh, the, the, uh, the love incarnate, right? Yeah. That's the, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, right? Um, and, and that's great if your sole point is to demonstrate the power of the divine to be divine even in human form. Yeah. But w- what, if, what if the point of Jesus was also to show us that the divine is present in all of us? And present in all of the world, in all of creation, right? What if? What if that's the point? What if? What if uh, uh, the point of the divine becoming human is so that the divine can also experience being human? Right. Can you just imagine what it would have been like if the the Bible, which is like you've often said, it's not a book; it's a library of books and a collection of stories. It's kind of a curated um, pl- playlist or, or collection that just didn't include any of those stories but imagine if it had imagine if we had detailed stories of the things that jesus was learning as he was becoming human as he was struggling with hormones and with emotions through his adolescent years his awkward teen years yeah like there's and there's don't get there's easy ways to explain 
right? I'm sure, I'm sure right? there are. It's easy way to explain it, right? The Gospels were written by people who, the, who knew the stories, maybe not Jesus in person, but who at least knew the stories of people who knew Jesus as an adult. So they wouldn't have known Jesus as a child. Right. Okay, sure. But then why do two of them at least include birth narratives? And how did they come up with those birth narratives? And then you kind of get into the, okay, is is the, the Bible, um, uh, is it real or is it myth? Is it fiction? Is it, what is it? And um, and again, I would say uh, it's kind of like that, 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 that thing um, that uh, that different cultures say in different ways, but essentially it comes out as, um, I don't know whether this happened exactly this way, but it's nonetheless true. Right. Right. Um, and the so if the point of, of, yeah, if the point of the stories is the essence of truth, again, we're still focusing on the divine only and the, the power. And, and, I, and I think in many ways it gives us the, that it reinforces our, understanding of power as being over, which is completely contrary to Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is all about power with people, right? That's that's the stories of the adult Jesus. So why wouldn't you include stories that, uh, why wouldn't you include stories of, uh, about Jesus being human and, and experiencing the human things that we as human beings do? Um, I, I mean, I, I can assume that's because you wanted to reinforce the idea of power over and how I, as the person in between you and God, mm. have am necessary and, and have could... power over you now yeah. because I can, you know. Um, but but if if the idea, if the idea, and this is the thing, this is why of all of the, of, okay, so we know two, basically two call stories of the disciples, right? Um, one is the one that appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is essentially, it's slightly different in, in each one, obviously, but it's essentially about how Jesus goes to the lakeshore and he calls fishermen to come and fish for people, right? Yeah. And he basically, Jesus goes, follow me, they drop everything and do, right? So there's the charismatic leader um, commanding people to follow, right? But John tells this story about how John, the, the writer, tells this story about how John the Baptist, who realistically, that's not really the best name for him because his job is to be the announcer, right? He's John the announcer. Right. He right. just happens to baptize as part of his job. But his real thing is he's the one who announces Jesus is coming. Yeah. Right? He's the herald. Right. Right? So... Um, John begins the Gospel of John with a story after the the whole word made flesh and dwells among us thing. Um, he talks about there was a man named John, and uh, and he was preaching and stuff and and baptizing and calling people to repent from their sins, and um, um, then the the leaders of the temple and, and come to him and say, "Are you the one? Are you the Messiah?" And he says, "No, I'm not." Um, I'm just the one who's, and they ask him a bunch of other questions, but boils down to, are you the one? And he says, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm the one who announces the one who is to come. Right. I'm not even I'm fit not to, worthy. Yeah, yes. I'm not even fit to untie his sandals or something right. like that. Right. It's, I'm, I'm not, I, he, he, and he will, I baptize with water. He will baptize with fire. He says all this stuff to make sure that it's clear to everybody. I'm not the one. I'm the one who announces the one. Yeah. So right off the bat, John is a character that whatever happens next, we know that if John tells somebody that that's Jesus, that's the one, that's the Messiah, that 
it's real, right? That's yeah. the thing. Sure enough, the next thing that happens is that John sees Jesus. And, and there's no description in John's gospel, there's no description of John actually baptizing Jesus. But the part about the dove, the Holy Spirit descending as a dove is there, right? And so John recounts how he saw that. And because God had told him that's how he would know the Messiah, he knows that's Messiah. And then it says, the next day, I'll come back to that. But then it says, the next day, he sees Jesus again. And this time he points him out to two of his own disciples. Okay. And he says, that's the guy. Go and, go and check him out. So they do. And the, those two disciples of, of John follow Jesus around for the day. And Jesus, of course, seeing people stalking him, um, finally says, uh, what are you looking for? What do you want? And they say, well, where are you? Where are you staying? Except, except the word in Greek means uh, abide. Um, in other words, uh, what's your where's the place you permanently hang out kind of thing. Where's your like, home? Where's your home? And Jesus says, come and see. And so they follow him around some more. And then it says uh, something about being four o'clock in the afternoon. And um, uh, then it goes on to tell about how one of them, Andrew, and it doesn't name the other of the first two, but it says one of them is Andrew. And Andrew goes and finds his brother Simon and brings him to Jesus. And of course, Simon, that's Simon who's to be named Cephas, Peter, right? The rock on which I will build my church. And then the story continues with they meet somebody else and they meet somebody else and they meet somebody else kind of thing. The, the, the thing is, it would be really easy to ignore the on this day and then the next day and then at four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Because they're insignificant details, it's that, you, you know me, like, I think the stories are often so bare to begin with. If there's an insignificant detail, it probably means something. I think what it's trying to tell us is John experiences Jesus. John shares his experience with others. That causes them to experience Jesus. Right. John doesn't say, go and follow him. Because I said so. Because I said so. And Jesus doesn't say, what are you looking for? It's me. I know. So you just follow me. Right. Um, it's, it's all about have an experience, bring yourself to it, yeah. see it how you see it, and engage it, right? Yeah, Jesus understood that the disciples needed to have that firsthand. They need to have their ownership. They needed to have their own epiphany. Yeah. Really. Exactly. Right. So, um, and, and, and to me, that's not just about an epiphany of the divine. That's an epiphany about realizing this is the word made flesh, as John says right from the start, right? Yeah. It's, it's, this is a person. It's not just, it's not, it's not like that's that story about how the transfiguration story, right? Um, the transfiguration story is where uh, Jesus, and it usually it's the story that winds up epiphany, right? Right before Lent. Um, they're on the mountaintop. Um, suddenly Moses and Elijah are there. And what's the first thing? that the, the uh, um, disciples that are there want to do, they want to build like little mini temples and things to mark the moment. Right. Right. Cause it's a moment, <laughs> momentary experience of the divine, except this isn't, this is a story about how the first disciples realized Jesus is the Messiah by interacting with him. Not because somebody said, follow me, not because, not because a very charismatic leader said, follow me, not because another very charismatic leader said, follow him, but because they experienced something. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. And and see, I, I think there's two really important learnings for us from that. One is um, we each have our own epiphany. We're all different. We're all human beings. And we, we come to that in different ways. And so it, you can't say come and see without having the what are you looking for part. Hmm. Right. You, you have to be you have to understand that uh, the, the value of coming and seeing comes from what you're looking for. Well, and that even makes me right? think of things like. You know, throughout the year, we talk about how do we attract people to become part of what we're doing, whether that's this online ministry, whether that's coming to church on a Sunday morning. That's number two thing. Right? Like, yeah. come and see. Well, exactly. I love, I love what you're saying that, well, you have to first engage in that inquiry of what is, what is it you need what, or what is it you're looking for? Right. See, I think that, and that's the other thing, right, is that first of all, we individually, you, I know it's a season. And the season is about revealing the divinity uh, in Jesus. Um, sure, uh, okay. Except all that does is hold Jesus away from us. What what brings Jesus right next to us is understanding that the first people, according to John, to encounter Jesus, followed him around, and and because they were looking for something, and they found it, right? And so. So to me, that also that also kind of plays into that um, idea that I, I'm always talking about, where where we have uh, we have these stories where Jesus heals people, or there's a miracle, or you know, basically the story is about how Jesus went Shazam and something happened. Yeah, and I think that story began with um, Jesus sitting down next to somebody and saying, "Tell me your story. What what are you looking for? What are you looking for in life? How yeah. can I help you?" Um, and having a conversation that helped that person to heal and helped that person to realize that they were still loved, that they mm -hmm. were still part of the world, that they still had life in them. That's, that's the key part of the story for me, not just the Shazam, you're healed thing, yeah. but, but hearing Jesus hearing out their story. And again, like you just said, so many churches rely on, um, we want you to be one of us. In other words, you come and you do what we do. And if you don't like what we do, you can always, that's why people church shop, right? Yeah. You don't like what we do, there's other churches, you know, you can check those out. <coughs> Excuse me. And so few churches, though, um, go, what are you looking for? Yeah. When, and, and then not only invite people, not only show people how what they're looking for might be found here, but also invites their looking to be part of everybody's looking, right? That right there is the critical part yeah. of it. So because you belong. You belong not because you fit in. You belong because you brought you exactly to it, right? Versus we are who we are and, oh, all are welcome. You know, every, everyone who is is welcome to join us. But we've already kind of decided, like, this is the type of club we are. Right. And, and you're welcome to join that's, it. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the reasons why uh, uh, I had a conversation with somebody just recently who said that... Um, one of the things that they're learning is that um, it's not enough to welcome. That just saying we welcome everyone isn't enough because basically that what, what the word welcome says to people is if you want to be one of us, if you want to fit in, you're allowed. if you want to be part of that, you're allowed to be here. Um, and, and so we need to say more about how not only are you welcome, but we affirm you as you and... Uh, that's, that's, I think, where the United Church's whole affirming thing comes from, right? Right, yeah, of course. Is that we not only welcome you, but we affirm your 
being who you are. Your uniqueness. Your uniqueness. And we want you to bring that to who we are. Mm-hmm. Right? And and that, hey, there might be a point at which, you know, maybe it's not a good fit. Maybe maybe we can still have a positive relationship, but this maybe isn't the place where you feel like you belong. And, you know, you try somewhere. Okay. Except we've already started with the interaction of how we might belong. Through openness. Right? Instead of, yeah, it, with openness, instead of saying, you can belong here if you fit in. Maybe, maybe uh, you mentioned those two different uh, versions of telling the story of Jesus um, meeting his disciples or acquiring these just uh, these followers. Maybe there was a process there. Uh, maybe, I'm sure it took place over a period of time. It didn't just happen in an instant or in one after, afternoon at four o'clock. He maybe he uh, no, undoubtedly he would have been meeting people all the time. And uh, having the kinds of conversations that you're describing where he was openly and genuinely uh, inquiring into what people were wrestling with or struggling with or who, who they are. And he probably met lots of people who he thought, you know, this, this person is not a fit to be one of my disciples. Then we got the whole, uh, what's the difference between a disciple and a disciple, right? Or a disciple and apostle or an apostle and a follower. Like we use different words to describe the followers of Jesus. Yes. And um, the the chosen 12, um, uh, we often say apostles or disciples um, rather than just follower um, because there were so many others, right? Right. Um, But then we have stories that are a little bit confusing because it's hard to tell whether when it says disciples it's referring to the chosen 12 or whether it's referring to everybody that happened to be there. But if there's 12 chosen, that implies that there was others that he didn't choose (laughs) is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. So there there had to have been a point at which – well, okay, so it depends on whether – it depends on whether you believe in an all-knowing and omnipotent God uh, who would have already known the 12 that were going to be chosen and knew how everything was going to go to begin with, um, or uh, whether you understand that all of this happens in the context of the um, uniqueness of a situation in which human beings have free will and may choose to do something other than what you tell them. And including um, Jesus' right. humanity. So, and which see, again brings something... us back to this uh, yes. conversation between yeah. divinity and humanity yeah. of, so, of him. So, like, and, and again, yeah, there's, there's an interesting thing about how, okay, so the 12 were chosen. How did he choose them? Did he just like randomly? And, and that's the thing about <laughs> that's so interesting. Process? Well, that's the thing that's so interesting about. And and I have to say, I've I've always argued this particular way that that now I kind of go, hmm, I should rethink that. Um, but even the story about Jesus calling the first disciples who were uh, fishermen, and basically he goes to the the boat and he goes, come and follow me. They drop everything and follow him, including two people who basically abandon two sons who abandon their father and their family and and well they're all abandoning their families and walk off with Jesus um, so first of all a wh- wh- why would Jesus demand that people abandon their families <laughs> wouldn't there be some negotiation or discussion or maybe some convincing um, unless of course you know omnipotent power of Jesus he'd already chosen them ahead of time and he, it was just a question of telling them um, or whether it was the charismatic leadership of Jesus that inspired them to simply drop everything and fall, or you know, like what's going on there? And see, I've always, I've always kind of described that uh, the way I've told the the fish fisherman thing is that um, they knew, mm-hmm. they just knew somehow. 
And and the more I think about that, and and it's not like he was calling them to abandon being fishermen. He was calling them to come and fish for people, and in other words, engage people the same way that that's this it never <laughs> goes well, right? Um, but but uh, there's so many so many ways in that story that you could turn it against itself, right? Yeah. Uh, and and we're just kind of asked to cold turkey believe this is how it works right and and which is another reason that's that's another reason why um um you know if you're called to ministry for instance um people uh people would like to hear a call story where you heard the voice of the lord calling unto you thou shalt follow me into me and that's not how it works right some people experience a moment where they feel like this is what they want to do some people might um develop an understanding that they're called to a certain ministry over time. And again, their ministry might not be specifically ordained ministry. It might be another kind of ministry, any, right? Any type of call. Any kind know. of call, right? Um, and some people might realize um, that they feel called to a certain thing and then spend most of the life avoiding it, only coming to ministry later in their life after having had another career. Not For that example. that was me. Um, <laughs> but um, so... so it just it's it's uh, I it I think it's important that we look at these stories, and 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 not simply take them at that face value of okay so here's a story about a charismatic leader who simply says follow me and you do, versus here's somebody who interacts with people, and gently invites them to come and see what's going on, and then they commit themselves to following from that experience right yeah, uh, because. We we all we all experience call different ways. Right? Well, I wanted, we, we, I wanted to, and that's I think a great place to dive into something else I wanted to talk about, which is not only. Uh, so we've been really exploring this this uh, the stories of the revealing of Jesus and his divinity, especially, and how that because that's so emphasized biblically. But what about here today in our day to day lives, the revealing of the presence of Jesus or the presence of God? Um, and how we engage with that searching and that that revealing on an individual basis, you know, how do we how do we know today in our lives that um, that God's presence is there and, and that it's real, right? Versus okay. just something that we're told to believe, we're told yeah. to follow. Well, again, uh, some people are absolutely fine with being told. They're absolutely fine with that. Um, and, and well, uh, it's it's a lot of things, right? But some some people find it just simpler. Um, but but the the thing is that if we if we uh, consistently tell stories that either intentionally, consciously, or unconsciously uh, remind people that um, um, the the only miracle that shows the presence of God is something that's really flashy and sudden. Um, and or and unexplainable. Um, if the it, it, and and can only be done not by us. <laughs> I can't think of another way of saying that. Like by an outside force or can't be gonna, reproduced. Yeah. Um, but but uh, if if we tell stories about how Jesus is, uh, we emphasize the divinity of Jesus and how we can't possibly attain that. Um, then people are going to understand. I think are are, are going to at least try. Maybe, uh, though I don't think they'll ever will understand, but they'll try to understand God as being something distant and something that acts on us. 
And I think then we're missing out the presence of Jesus in us or the mm. presence of God in us as it was revealed by Jesus. Because we're externalizing because, it. Yeah. Because that, and to me, that's the thing about Jesus is that the real revealing of Jesus is, is, um, the number of times we tell stories about Jesus that I personally think started with Jesus saying, so tell me your story. What's going on here? Let's, uh, how can I help with this? And probably ended with, see, you guys can do this too. Yeah, we clip those right? pieces off. <laughs> we cut those pieces out because that makes it sound like Jesus is just another guy. And um, that gets people in trouble when they say stuff like that. Just ask people like Dominic Crossan or, you know, who who have suggested that, uh, or the people who, the search for the historic Jesus, right? Mm. What what kind of human was Jesus? Anybody who looks at those kind of things tends to be looked sideways, you know, yeah, at, at sideways by the, the church. Um, but, but in fact, the more we understand the humanity of Jesus, surely the more we would see how God and Jesus are alive in us. Right, it's not an mm -hmm. external thing; it's in us. Well, one of our um, when we first started this kind of online community that we've called Six Ways from Sunday, I think we put on the website: faith is not about an institution. No, you know, and we've we've created structures and systems and right traditions around our collective uh, faith experience. Well, and 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 to be fair, to be fair, and and I always think it's important to say when you say things like because I always do. Uh, religion is a structure that we put on, right? It's the institutions we create. It's a structure that we put on our faith so that we might understand it better. Um, I, I That's what I think. I also am aware that historically it's been a way of controlling people um, and getting people to all do the same thing rather than individually connect with God mm -hmm. as a, and uh, gather as a community. Um, but... Uh, and those aren't the same things, right? Uniqueness and sameness are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, so structure, it, it was intended for us to understand our faith better. Um, and you know what? This is not the first century. This is not 2,000 years before Jesus. Um, this, is, this is now. And we have developed... Uh, uh, with 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 science and 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 everything else, we've reached a point where many of the things that we used used God to explain, we now understand differently. On this, at the same time, it's it's incredible how how much is still in that realm of just the inexplicable and unknown. You bet, you bet. But here's the thing about that, though, is that, that many of those things that we previously said, you know, that was God, um, that we now explain with things like science, they're, they're kind of tend to be ways that we, again, see God out there. Right. Rather than in here, right? In us, right? And uh, the more, I think the more we can... Um, we can draw together the divinity and humanity of Jesus, the more likely it is we can show people how that divinity is alive in you, right? And alive in me, it's alive in all of us. Yeah. It's there, right? Um, you know, some of the, the, the miracle stories that we tell, the, the real miracle is that we can do it too. Yeah. Right? Like that's the, the, um, the story of the five, feeding the 5,000, right? Um, I've many times said, sure, it's a miracle. Feel free to believe it was a miracle. Jesus went Shazam and everybody had a burger. That's awesome. Um, sorry, it was a filet of fish, I guess. Um, but anyway, um, the other way that you can tell that story is to say, 
Jesus inspired the generosity of the crowd who then found, because frankly, in those days, you simply didn't travel without food because it took so long, right? So you would take food with you. Um, So he inspired the generosity of the crowd into sharing. Um, and, And so feel free now because lots of people do to go, oh, well, that's great. It's not a miracle then. You just explained it. Oh, hell no. It's a miracle. You try inspiring a crowd of people to share their food. Yeah. That's a freaking miracle right there. There's no (laughs) doubt about it. And the best part is it's a miracle we can all do. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I think so many of the other things too, that doesn't have to take away the power from the story. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. In fact, it it enhances the power of the story. Um, and, and takes it from the realm of, oh, that's so amazing, but we couldn't ever possibly do that to, yes, we can. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, that's, that's, uh, maybe it's a pet peeve of mine with epiphany, but, um, we tend to see epiphany as the ways in which the divinity of Jesus is revealed to us. Okay. Because that's the stories. Sure. But where's our own epiphany then? What, where do we where do we see ourselves in that story? Yeah. Because otherwise it's useless to us. Sorry, but a story about the divinity of Jesus just makes me go, wow, gosh, he was awfully impressive. It doesn't say anything to me about what I can do. Mm. It doesn't say anything to me about why I should change the way I live. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't say that I can. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's another thing is that, and I, I know, I know because I harp on this all the time, um, because you say things about how, you know, the Jesus in, in us and we can do this too. And people go, I'm not Jesus. I can routine, I can tell you at least once every couple of weeks, somebody says to me, I'm not Jesus though. <laughs> and okay. But that you're saying that because you've learned that Jesus is divine and therefore, I shall not ever be able to attain that. Yeah, he's perfect. He's perfect, right? A- except not. Um, and but if you if you were able to see how uh, you 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 can see Jesus in you as much as you can see yourself in Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus is a human being, right? That's the story, right? The Word is made flesh. Yeah. So he's human. And if he is, then he's human in the same way that we all are. It's an all. Right? And sure, it might just be a story. Um, but even if it is just a story, um, there's no such thing as just a story. Uh, it, the story speaks to us. And now we can, we can maybe look at these stories and wonder about these stories a little differently and wonder less about, uh, wow, that's so awesome that Jesus is so divine and so amazing and so far away from me. And think a little bit more about how close we are to Jesus yeah. and how capable we are and of being more like Jesus. And, and if you want to say, but I'm not Jesus, no, you're not. You're you. Absolutely. But Jesus never said you couldn't be you. Jesus ever, never said, be perfect like me. Jesus never said, be exactly like me. What Jesus tried to encourage people, I think, and that's why I love this story from John, is to bring themselves mm-hmm. to it, right? I mean, even even in a way, uh, I mean, it's easy for us. I know we tell us Judas is the scapegoat, Judas was a traitor, he was a betrayer, the blah, 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 sure, whatever. What if, though, what if the people who tell that story differently are right? What if Judas instead was the most, most faithful of the disciples and was chosen by Jesus because he knew Judas was the only one with the... Um, 
strength. Let's say strength. He was the only one with the strength to actually do the thing that needed to be done, even if he didn't want to. To complete the... Yeah. Yeah. To see things through to the end. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's a totally different way of looking at it. Right. So, and 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 there's another way. There's another way of of uh, the humanity of the person. Right. Jesus connected with the humanity of the person. So maybe, what if, what if when Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the light," he's not talking about, um, look at me as this model of perfection. Uh, even though you're guaranteed to fail try to strive to be exactly like me and you have a chance of be, of salvation but instead i am the way the truth and the light could could be interpreted as um i am one who is going to to model this certain way of being for others to follow and that way of being is about authenticity being right. yourself um and embracing both his humanity and his divinity. So let me just say, by the way, um, I'm not correcting you, but the Bible actually says the way, the truth, and the life. And oh, I'm not correcting okay. you because um, same thing, right? We always talk about, that's one of the things about light. We all, in the images of light, especially in John's gospel, since we're using, we're talking about John, um, uh, the the light in the darkness that you can't put out, right? John likes to use that that image yeah, of light, right? Yeah. And and I am the way, the truth, and the life is what Jesus, what it, the the quote in the Bible. And people love to say, and of course it's followed by, no one comes to the Father but through me. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I think that needs to be taken with a grain of salt since Jesus was talking to his own followers. First of all, but secondly, I think. That means Jesus, what Jesus is really saying is, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And in fact, uh, if you live this way into what is true, it is life-giving, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and, I think and that's so, what I was thinking. So it's, it's not about thing. I, Jesus personally, exactly. only me. Yeah. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I think what he means is if you le- live this way mm-hmm. and you live into truth, and and it, it is life giving. It's enlightening. It is all of those things. Um, anybody can do that. Yeah, he's simply modeling that as a way yeah. of being, and, and, and saying s- that any it's available to anyone. Yeah, it, I, I'm not the only one who can do it. I'm mm-hmm. just showing you. I'm just mm-hmm. showing you. Um, and if you do that, then you too can come to the Father, kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to follow it through on what he then they John then has him say. Yeah. Um, but but even so, um, again, I think it's more about um, it's more about who are you, what are you looking for, and how can I bring you there, yeah. kind of thing, right? Um, and and uh, uh, I, I again, I, I that's oh I, I, that's not exclusive to Jesus. Sorry, it's just not. And I don't think, and I think that's kind of what Jesus is trying to say. It, it sometimes is this isn't just me. It's you too, right? Um, and through through subsequently through history, we've had various models of people who aspired to be uh, Jesus, for lack of a better way of saying that. Be like Jesus, be Jesus, be Jesus. I'm going with be Jesus. Um, they as- aspire to be the life that Jesus lived, right? 
Yeah. And so we have examples of that, and they're not all Christians, right? Uh, Gandhi is a is an example. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., um, Mother Teresa. There, through history, there have been various examples of people that we just, you know, I think sometimes we're really quick to go, oh, well, they're just a good person. They're being Jesus. Yeah. Why are you afraid to say that? Yeah. Be, right? Well, again, I, we're I get, afraid to say it I, I because get, we were we yeah. are deliberately reserving that distinction and that. Um, that level of adoration yeah. to the one and only Christ, I'm, I'm not, which, which implies that there is that division yeah. between. I just want to say I'm not ever going to give up on my my life goal to make the word Jesusing um, in common usage by verb. people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's a verb. Jesus yeah. is a verb. Um, we can all do Jesusing. Does it mean that we're perfect? Nope. Does it mean we're not going to be uh, at various times flawed? No, because we left out all the stories of Jesus being flawed, right? <laughs> we left out all the stories of how, well, not all. There's a couple of stories where it kind of looks like, hmm, Jesus, really? Um, and there's there's even, there's even a couple of stories where um, we tell the story a certain way. But, you know, if you looked at that sideways a little bit, uh, it doesn't always necessarily put Jesus in a very positive light. Um, why? Because he's human, yeah. right? Uh, and and the, we need that. We need that uh, both to understand Jesus better, but also to understand how we're Jesus. Yeah, to understand ourselves yeah. better. That is the process That's an epiphany. of epiphany. Yeah. yeah, That's a great place to leave it, too. Well, thank you very much, Robin, for this Thanks for the coffee, Dan. Stimulating conversation. Mm-hmm. A great way to kick off the new year. Um, do you have any big uh, goals or plans for things that you want to uh, manifest into your life or to epiphanize? Is that a verb? I don't know, but why not? We're making up words, apparently. So, <laughs> Jesus saying yes. Um, I I would really like... Uh, you know, I mean, I say this as I say it in my head. I'm thinking you'd think that would be the goal for every year. Um, but I'm thinking um, my... my th- theme since we just got past the new year right and all of the new year's resolutions none of us are going to keep um i would like to have one that i do keep (laughs) which is uh i think this i would like this to be a year of what are you looking for come and see um i i really would i think i think our our congregations our churches uh need to uh need to be more about that um we, I know we, we try to, like, we have a, Basha has a sign that says, uh, um, All we'll are, take anybody. Right, yeah. Everybody will. It, it says in big letters, we'll take anybody. Everybody welcome. And there's a story behind that, which we don't have time for now. But um, we were talking about it recently, and there was a suggestion that, in fact, maybe we need to change that sign. Do something more affirming, like, you belong here. Um, or or everyone belong. I don't know how, I, but something that's a little bit more affirming than we'll take anybody, um, because that sounds that almost sounds kind of negative, and and I've always liked that, frankly, because I think Jesus would have said, "I'll take anybody," <laughs> even you. I don't think he would have said, "Hey, you belong with me." I think he would have said, "I'll take anybody." Because I think he spent a lot of his time in an environment where he connected with people that the rest of society would look at exactly the way people who yes. think that's a negative expression would look at them, right? Yeah, I hear you. And saying. and it doesn't say it doesn't mean when 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 you say we'll take anybody, it doesn't mean 
um, anything less about the people that we take or the people that are already there. It means more yeah. because they're willing to connect with people that Jesus connected with, it's right? It's just so open to interpretation. It's that, that classic thing about how, you know, if you want to make yourself be more like Jesus, hang out with all the wrong people, right? Um, right? And wrong being subjective to society's norms, right? Um, but, but um, you know, uh, you're right. It depends on the perspective and the angle in which you look at it, yeah. right? Um, and, and I personally have always, uh, I, I, well, always, I want to be more affirming about it, right? I want it to be more positive. I want to be able to say, I, I think we need to be able to say you belong here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But we can't say that unless we say the other two pieces first. Yeah. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? And come and see, like yeah. how, come and see not just what we're doing, but come and see how you can be, come and have, bring what you are and come and, and have you your are. own experience and, and be, yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, and I think this story from John tells that. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's very fitting. Thank you, Robin. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, everyone, for taking some time to join us today on the podcast and listening to this conversation. I hope you got a lot of value out of it, um, regardless of where you're at in your own spiritual journey or what your beliefs are. I think it's really important to take some time to really reflect on and think about why we believe the things that we believe and how those those truths and beliefs have been revealed to us. Are they spiritual and religious traditions that have been passed on to us uh, through our family and through our culture and our community and, uh, and we've just sort of adopted them? Have we uh, taken our own journey through the process of, of questioning and exploring whether those things are true personally for us? And how does God really occur to each of us and appear to each of us in our own day-to-day lives? And that's something that uh, I don't think anybody can really tell us what is true or what's right. And we just have to experience it and figure that out for ourselves, as difficult and confusing as that can be. So once again, thank you for being willing to go there and explore some of those big questions with Robin and I today, and we hope that you'll join us again soon on the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. Take care and be well.